6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's January 12th. I'm Kelly Reese. This is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. First up, we've got a look at your local news and your weekend weather report. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning for the Greater Lake Tahoe area, and an avalanche watch is also in place. Keep it tuned to hear details on the winter weather rolling into much of our listening area this weekend. Then, KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller tells us the true tale of a spacecraft, which returned to Earth carrying some very special cargo. Despite it being an El Nino year, Northern California is lagging behind in precipitation projections. Steve Baker, KVMR's resident hydrogeologist, joins Paul Emery to discuss this and more on the latest edition of Water News. Election years play out differently for each individual. Some see them as horror stories, others as comedies, and some maybe more as psychological thrillers. Whatever genre you lump these years into, it's always nice to have some info about the myriad of potential candidates you'll eventually see gracing ballots. Up ahead, Claudio Mendonca, KVMR's news director, walks us through how Nevada County residents can get their candidate questions answered. And stick around for the Friday News Magazine's finale with Molly Fisk. In this week's essay, Molly muses about language and location. That's all up ahead. Your Friday News Magazine starts now. We start this evening with your news roundup. The Nevada County Resource Conservation District still has open spots for Saturday, January 13th's free course on prescribed fire. The course Prescribed Fire 101 is open to all residents and private landowners interested in prescribed burning, especially those interested in burning on their land. Prescribed Fire 101 covers the basics of what prescribed fire is, how prescribed fire reduces fuels and enhances native plants, and an overview of the steps to plan and conduct a burn safely, legally, and responsibly. More information and registration is available at the Nevada County Resource Conservation District website, ncrcd.org. The California State Parks Foundation has responded to Governor Gavin Newsom's proposed 2024-2025 California State Budget with concern. Their chief worry stems from the elimination of funding for two popular state park access programs, the California State Park Adventure Pass and the California State Library Parks Pass. Quote, We are extremely concerned about the governor's proposal to end two highly effective and popular programs, providing free access to California state parks. These programs are critical to our state's goal of a healthier, more equitable California for all, says Rachel Norton, executive director of California State Parks Foundation. The California State Park Adventure Pass gives fourth graders and their families who live in the state a free pass to access select state parks for a full year. And the California State Library Parks Pass gives library cardholders free vehicle day-use entry to over 200 participating state parks. The initiatives were launched with a three-year pilot program and $9.1 million in funding in the 2021-2022 state budget. The Parks Foundation says continuing to fund the effort at the same level would be a minuscule part of the 2024-2025 proposed $291 billion budget for the state. 
Now let's take a closer look at your weekend forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 33 degrees. Showers likely mainly after 3 a.m. Tonight's chance of precipitation is 60%. Saturday, showers with heavy rain at times and a high near 43. Saturday sees an 100% chance of precipitation. Saturday night will have showers mainly before 4 a.m. with a low around 39 degrees. Sunday, mostly cloudy with a high near 47. A 50% chance of showers mainly before 10 a.m. Sunday night sees patchy fog and widespread frost with a low around 32 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 21 degrees. A 30% chance of snow with new snow accumulation of less than half an inch possible. Saturday, snow before 1 p.m., which will turn to a mix of snow and rain. A high near 36 degrees. Saturday night will see rain and snow turning to all snow after 1 a.m., with a low around 28 degrees. It'll be breezy with gusts as high as 45 miles per hour. Sunday, partly sunny with a high near 38. A 40% chance of snow before 10 a.m., However, little or no snow accumulation is expected. Sunday night will be partly cloudy, with a low around 16 degrees. The Forest Service Sierra Avalanche Center has issued a backcountry avalanche watch Saturday, January 13th, for Reno and the Greater Lake Tahoe area. The Avalanche Center warns to expect a period of high avalanche danger from Saturday morning into early Sunday morning. This threat will be of greatest concern in the central Sierra Nevada mountains, between Yuba Pass on Highway 49 and Ebbets Pass on Highway 4. The Avalanche Center, which is based in Truckee, says new snowfall combined with gale force winds will load already problematic weak layers buried in the snowpack. This is what could trigger widespread avalanches. Traveling in near or below backcountry avalanche terrain is not recommended. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning in effect from 1 a.m. on Saturday to 4 a.m. on Sunday for the greater Lake Tahoe area. The warning says heavy snow and strong winds are coming. In Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 43 degrees. A 60% chance of precipitation with showers likely mainly after 5 a.m. Saturday, showers with a high near 49. Saturday night will have showers mainly before 4 a.m. with a low around 46 degrees. Sunday, partly sunny with a high near 57. Sunday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 42 degrees. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight, showers likely mainly after 5 a.m., mostly cloudy with a steady temperature around 39 degrees. Saturday has an 100% chance of precipitation with showers and a high near 46 degrees. Saturday night will have showers mainly before 4 a.m., then a steady temperature around 46 degrees. Sunday, a 50% chance of showers mainly before 10 a.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 50. Sunday night sees patchy fog before 3 a.m., otherwise it'll be partly cloudy with a low around 35 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. A spacecraft last fall returned to Earth bearing with it a sample of rock. Rock it had snatched off the surface of an asteroid, 
a miniature planet circling the sun out beyond Mars. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller divulges this true intergalactic tale up ahead. A key mystery in biology is how did rock and air and water come together some four billion years ago to create life? A major obstacle to solving the mystery is that after four billion years, the evidence has been pretty much erased. So now we head out to the asteroid belt to grab a sample of rock that may well be over four billion years old. I spoke with the principal investigator, the head of the science team for the OSIRIS-REx mission, Dr. Dante Loretta of the University of Arizona. I am particularly trying to understand the organic chemistry of the samples and linking that in any way to theories for the origin of life. We're looking at the amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, and the nucleobases, which are the letters of our genetic code, starting to see some indications that they're present in the sample. And then my interest is the implications of that for the habitability of the Earth and the delivery of these compounds to other locations across the solar system. If organic, in other words, carbon-based molecules came in from space, that would give the system something to work with. I collaborate with a lot of biologists. So I'm really trying to come up to speed on the biology side of it. My background and my inclination is the geochemical side of it. Linking that to the biological processes is, is where I've been spending a lot of my, my study time. Darwin had a hunch that life might have first appeared in a warm little pond somewhere on the surface of the Earth. A more recent hypothesis puts life's origin on the floor of the sea at a hot, though not too hot, hot spring. I would say there's two camps in the origin of life community. There's the Darwin's warm pond, and they usually think about that maybe on a volcanic island, kind of like a Hawaii or Iceland. And then there's the hydrothermal oceanic vents community, and probably the majority of the community is thinking those deep ocean sites. Analysis of the Bennu samples is going to help us understand that question. What we're seeing is that these rocks are a, a rock type called a serpentinite, Here in the Sierra foothills, we are very familiar with serpentinite. We've got serpentine up the (laughs) yin-yang. Right. Those kinds of rocks form on Earth at exactly the low-temperature alkaline hydrothermal vent systems that you were describing. So the way I'm looking at it is that is a key site potentially for the origin of life on Earth. We can't really study origin of life in those systems today, but Bennu seems like it represents a very similar geochemical system probably when it was part of a much larger asteroid very early in solar system history. And you might have had the same kind of warm hydrothermal vent, creating the same kind of minerals we're seeing here on Earth without the biology, which is why the organic chemistry is so interesting. It's like, okay, what kind of organic chemistry would have been taking place in these early environments on Earth? We can now get a glimpse of that by analyzing the samples from Bennu. Bennu was part of a much larger piece of rock, a much larger asteroid that was blasted apart. Are you saying that larger asteroid itself was large enough to have hydrothermal activities? It probably had hot springs? Exactly. Wow. Interesting. Yes. Now you're you're understanding my excitement. For sure. How well preserved can we hope the sample is? The sample looks extraordinarily well-preserved. We're really seeing no signs, first of all, any terrestrial contamination. 
and no sign of any indication of alteration during transport. And we are actually looking for signs of alteration due to exposure to the space environment. We're seeing some indications of that early on. But for the most part, the sample looks really unaltered after that serpentinization formation reaction took place. Here on Earth, we get lots of alteration. It's called weathering. Minerals combine with oxygen. They combine with water. All sorts of things happen. What sort of space weathering might you get? When we think about space weathering, you're primarily interested in high-energy particles, cosmic rays. We worry about high-energy radiation like ultraviolet and X-ray dominantly coming from the sun. And then you have micrometeoroids, which just impact the surfaces and create tiny little craters and make impact melts. The impact is so energetic that heats up the mineral, actually melts it. Exactly. Dante, this has really been fun. Thank you very much. I look forward to talking again in the future. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm speaking with Dr. Dante Loretta of the University of Arizona, Tucson, principal investigator for the OSIRIS-REx project. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. Have you heard that the Pacific Ocean off the California coast is blue? No, like, really, really blue. If you happen to take a nighttime coastal stroll, you just might witness a sea of fluorescent blue glowing along California. Keep it tuned as hydrogeologist Steve Baker joins Paul Emery to discuss this and more in today's Water News. The Water News is sponsored by Clearwater and Filtration, offering solutions for water quality, well operations, maintenance, and water storage management problems. Well, it's time for Water News with Steve Baker. And Steve, um, it's raining outside. Yes, it is. But this is not an El Nino. Um, This is not what we expected. No, not really. really. uh, What's your take on that? You know, there's, there's a perception that when someone's uh, when the the uh, uh, people of the state say, "Hey, you're, we're having an El Nino year," that that means we're going to get a boatload of water of rain. But really, it, we really have to look at two things. We have to consider the warm oceans, of course, but also the wind direction. And right now, in, in the last many weeks, the Central Coast has been getting a lot of water. And then I'm sure many people have been listening to accounts in Orange County and other places further south having horrendous amounts of of water. They're getting it down there, but up here, we're sort of lagging behind. We're we're not quite the average precipitation level right now. Back in November, there was a 90-day outlook, and they said 40% to 50% chance of above normal moisture for all of California through February. That's what they were saying. We're not seeing that yet. But... um, when I look outside right now, I see a, I see rain, but this is not really a huge atmospheric river storm that we're experiencing. But weather patterns change, and they can change quite dramatically. So all it's going to take is one week of heavy rain, and that's going to put us totally on track again. So I'm hopeful. Of course, this affects snowfall, um, snow snowpack as well, which I understand is very low right now. Yeah, it is very low. And, of course, not only do you want the snow to fall and stick up high— but you don't want it to melt off before it's supposed to. So we're always also concerned about those, those temperatures up in the mountains back in, in you know, March and April and May and June. Somebody told me that the Pacific Ocean off of Southern and Northern California is more blue in color. Isn't that wild? I heard that myself. 
this is really cool. I, I'd love to see this. There is a bioluminescent algae. Okay, it's a phytoplankton. And it grows on the surface of the ocean. And this particular type of phytoplankton emits a glowing blue color that makes the waves appear to be fluorescent at night. And during the day, the water looks kind of red. Uh, I've never seen anything like this before, but uh, right now it's, it's becoming more of a big thing. Nighttime whale watching tours are being put together in Orange County because they're hoping it's hit and miss, you know, but they're hoping that they could uh, schedule some trips so that people will be looking for whales and also experiencing dolphins jumping through the blue, you know, the blue tones in a nighttime uh, waterscape. So it looks, it's really pretty cool. Um, the presence of these phytoplanktons, they're not really that potent or harmful to wildlife or humans is what, what we're being told. Now you can find pictures of this on TikTok. For anybody interested in that, just go to the hashtag California Bioluminescence 2024 and see see what you uh, see what you find. It's it's uh, it's something I would love to see. This is a good one, Steve. Uh, I hear you have another report on bottled water. <laughs> what did you find out? Every so often, bottled water shows up. You know how many times people refer to others as, "Oh my God, they're plastic." You know, they're fakes. They're not. They're not authentic at all. Well, now we can really say that there are some people that actually are made of plastic. Okay, a new methodology was created by Columbian Rutgers Universities. Now, what they've done is they've sent water samples through an ultrafine membrane, and then they use two different lasers, and they, they can identify the type of, not, of nanoplastic particles that were captured. They found that bottled water in plastic containers has 10 to 100 times more plastic per liter than they previously thought. Now, if we're counting particles, go buy a liter of of water in a bottle container, plastic container, and you just bought yourself 240,000 particles also of plastic. There's a lot in there. The size particles, though, are really tiny. They're the size of a virus, okay? So in nanometers, that would be 50 to 100. I mean, it's tiny. Surprisingly, though, when I look at the type of, of, uh, of plastic that they're finding that it's nearly not the bottle itself, the PET. It's not that. But instead, it's the material that's used in the filling process, the filling and the purification process. It's some kind of type of nylon, a polystyrene, that's showing up most of the time. Now, they're expanding on their capability of identifying more different types of, of uh, plastics. But right now, it's, it's four or five different types. And this is what they're finding. So these small, these small particles, they're... They're small enough to pass through the gastrointestinal tract and even the lungs, okay? They're really small. Of course, viruses go there too, right? If they get into the bloodstream, they can even lodge in the heart and the brain or a placenta and then into a fetus. So the, these run rampant. They can go anywhere. So my takeaway is to use less plastics in my household, in my lifestyle. So I, we're actually on that in my family. So less bottled water. Less bottled water for sure, but you know those pla you know you have leftovers and you put plastic over the plate. Forget the plastic. Wow, Steve, that's a pretty good one. You yeah, dig it's something we can relate to. I think you dig up some good stuff to share with our <laughs> listeners. Thank you, Steve. Oh, you bet.
managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Twenty twenty four is an election year. This statement may trigger trepidation in some and excitement in others. Either way, one thing's for sure, with so many potential candidates, voters may have a hard time parsing through who's who. That's where KVMR's news director, Claudio Mendonza, comes in. The League of Women Voters of Nevada County is a nonpartisan political organization that primarily focuses on encouraging active participation in our government and they will soon hold candidate forums for the March 5th primary election. Forums will be held for District 1 and 2 of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors race and the California State Assembly District 1 race. The league maintains that the best way for voters to learn about political candidates is to ask them questions. With that in mind, the League of Women Voters of Nevada County is asking community members to submit questions for their upcoming forums. I contacted Jan Bedane, co-president of the League, and asked her how questions should be submitted. Please do that through email, info at lwvnevadacounty.org. And we are asking for questions by midnight on Saturday, January 20th, because it does take us some time to organize those questions and get them ready. Make sure, please, that if you are going to submit a question, you submit a question that is not just targeted at one particular candidate. All the candidates need to be able to answer the question, or we won't bring that question to the forum if it's just for one particular candidate. We also want these to be appropriate to the office and as concise as possible. We do have a small team of people who go through the questions and we do consolidate them because very often we get questions that are essentially the same, and we try and consolidate them into one, two, or three very concise questions about that topic. Then we also try to organize those according to uh, how many questions came in about a particular topic. We make sure that questions get answered that is topmost of people's minds. Again, that's info at lwvnevadacounty.org. The Board of Supervisors District 1 Forum will take place on Tuesday, January 23rd. The Board of Supervisors District 2 Forum happens the following day on Wednesday, January 24th. And the California State Assembly District 1 Forum will take place a week later on Tuesday, January 30th. All three forums will be held at the Rood Center in Nevada City from 6 to 7.30. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet Up in the Sierra foothills where I live, hearing a strong Boston accent whips my head around. I liked the world better when it wasn't homogenized by the language of television and now the internet. Different regional cadences were a beautiful music. I grew up in California, but visited cousins back east every summer. 
Our family didn't speak with the elongated syllables of New England, though sometimes my dad's flat A's gave a hint of his Buffalo origin and Canada looming in the background. I haven't studied this, but I'm sure there's a class element involved. My aunts and great aunts didn't come from money, but they did come from education. Grammar and elocution were their jam, and woe betide you if you screwed any of that up. People ask me, as a writer, to explain parts of speech to them, but I am clueless. I learned to speak English by ear at dinner tables in Moortown, Vermont, and all over Massachusetts, Ipswich, West Newton, South Orleans, Saxonville. We can look up what a past participle actually is together. As a kid, bored in San Francisco and missing my cousins, I didn't call them because it was too expensive. I dialed L.L. Bean's toll-free number and made up questions about their snow boots just to hear a beautiful accent. The woman whose voice got me going about this has moved to town recently following grandkids. News sources don't mention the demographic of grandparents sashaying around the country to be closer to family, but in my circle, it's a big deal. People I know are trying to escape climate risks. There's a small middle-class voluntary refugee movement, and some leave the country for a lower cost of living in retirement. But the biggest proportion of my age group is trailing around after their grandchildren. I always wonder what leaving familiar land does to our bodies, both long-term, like relocating, and short-term, like taking airplanes. I think jet lag is a response to moving so fast from place to place, as much as it is adjusting to the time change. This has no scientific basis that I know of, so please take it as poetic speculation, not physiology. But really, since we're animals, how weird is it to suddenly be facing a new mountain range, different air quality and aromas? How can the sun rising in the wrong place not affect us? The next time I go to Boston, if I ever do, I'll be driving or taking a train. I'm in Greta Thunberg's camp about not flying for climate reasons. Visions still dance through my head of Paris and Prague, Stockholm, the Amalfi Coast, and I'm sure there are ships one could take there, though they may be out of my price range. We'll see how strong my convictions are when world travel seems equally tantalizing and affordable. Since I have no grandchildren luring me, and since poets never retire, I'll probably be here at 2,500 feet above sea level for the duration. This is not a bad thing. In winter, the moon rises in front of the window over my sink, a great motivation to finish the dishes. So on clear nights, I don't miss the waxing and waning. Woodpeckers loop from oak to oak to telephone pole all day in their unlikely sine wave patterns of flight. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City, and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
That's our newscast for this Friday, January 12th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, IPAs, and stout, offering a pub-style menu and wood-fired pizza, weekly live music, billiards, and an outdoor patio. Open daily at 11 on Sutton Way, Grass Valley, 1849brewingco.com. And Alpine Aviation, since 1990, offering business and personal flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus local area scenic flights. Located at the Nevada County Airport off Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. More information at flyalpine.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. Thanks for tuning in to your Friday news magazine. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.